This is the Earth Regenerators Podcast. Welcome fellow Earth Regenerators, this is Jacob speaking here. Until now, I have been your friendly neighborhood editing man, publishing the beautiful set of episodes others have been so kind to record. But after the last few episodes gave us so many amazing ideas on what we can do, I thought it was high time we talked a bit about my favorite word, why. So in this episode, I would like to share with you some thoughts on the philosophy and especially the ethics that have accompanied me on this shared journey of regeneration. As I am currently enjoying the generalist's lifestyle, learning a little bit about everything but mastering none, the only thing I have gotten continuously better at is asking the question, why? Why do I get up out of bed in the morning? Why do I do the things I do and not other things? Why do we plant yucca plants next to pineapples, but not next to banana palms? Why are we here? Why do we cook the pasta separately from the tomato sauce, and not directly inside it? Why do I want to offer my life to service? Why for regeneration? And then ultimately always? Why put in so much effort? Why not simply go back to a normal life? Or, why do I not simply kill myself today? I believe that on the path of regeneration, many of us ask themselves these questions, struggle with them, and sometimes feel tempted to give up. So in the spirit of finding the others, knowing we are not alone, I would like to share my journey with the word, why, and how my relationship with it has changed over time. Why do I not simply kill myself today? This question was a constant companion on my path for a long time like hiking on a side of the mountain, and every time you look to the left, there it is. An infinite abyss. A few years ago, this question led me to conclude that I had to use one idea as the basic principle of my life. Optimism. I have to believe that, on average, there will be more happiness than suffering in the future. In the end, if I believe the reverse, that there would be more suffering than happiness, why stick around to witness it? At least concerning me, masochistic tendencies are not very strong, so if there will be more suffering, the conclusion would be to kill myself. The third option, that there was going to be about the same amount of suffering as happiness, also didn't seem very enticing to me. The story of progress deeply embedded in my Western upbringing did not permit me to see a world where things stay more or less the same as desirable. No. The only valid answer to why do I not kill myself today could be because things will on average be better than worse. Of course, optimism is not an actual answer to this question, but staying alive was the default, so why make the effort to end it? Well, now that I had decided to be an optimist, I need something to be optimistic about. In the end, as Peter Turchin has described beautifully, at least from a qualitative perspective in his books, all empires fall after they rise. 
all civilizations up until this point in history have either disappeared completely again or been reduced back to irrelevant levels of complexity. There is no reason to believe that this will not happen to humanity's current attempt at large-scale cooperation. And it seems that collapse is coming sooner rather than later. Our main threat? Hypernovelty and the unbalancing effects it has on the equilibria currently maintaining our natural and social ecosystems. The commodity upon which almost the entirety of our society is balancing, like an upside-down pyramid, oil, is seemingly on its way out for one reason or another, and the search for a replacement that is as easy to use is going slow. At the same time, various forms of exponential technology meaning technology which helps us to make the next generation of technology even better, things like computers, for example, have outpaced our capacity for sense-making and unified action to the point that such a great power imbalance has arisen amongst humans that the basic ingredient necessary for cooperation seems to be effectively lost. A sense of equality of outcome, of we're all in this boat together. If we sink, we all sink together. Now, it seems the rich and powerful can dodge pandemics through modern medicine and natural catastrophes by just relocating within hours to a new place with a more stable environment. And if at some point that means they have to go to Mars, so be it. No problem. The Roman Empire ultimately fell to a threat that only a few centuries earlier they crushed easily. Barbarian invasions. The same thing seems to be happening to this civilization. The perceived inequality in the distribution of power has divided us to the point that we can't effectively act anymore as a group, and so we'll be unable to adapt to the changes brought about by our own actions. Now, let's all be good preppers and realize that the apocalypse might come during our lifetime, or it might not. But either way, as soon as you realize that this civilization is on its way out, your actions will be the same either way. Finding and building a replacement. So with all this talk of collapse, what is there to be optimistic about? Here, I want to borrow from Isaac Asimov's Foundation Trilogy. In his world, he postulates an empire which is predicted to fall in 500 years. Afterwards, there will be 10,000 years of dark ages, where life is brutish and short. However, with this knowledge of imminent collapse, a group could start working on the current social structure's replacement to substitute in as quickly as possible, shortening the Dark Age to a mere 1,000 years. That's 9,000 years of brutish and short life less in the universe. Sign me up! All civilizations eventually come crashing down, but we can feather the impact by building its replacement as the crash is still happening. This does not necessarily have to be another civilization, but just something to prevent human extinction and, if possible, give the survivors not only a life, but a meaningful one. If you find the term survivors harsh, I can understand. But at least from a historical perspective, it is rather fitting. Civilizational collapses have reduced human populations sometimes by over 50%. Let that settle in. I closed myself off emotionally to this perspective for a long time. I think many of us have. But since you can't only subdue certain emotions and permit others, by doing this, you numb yourself on many levels. 
including your ability to perceive beauty in the world. So we have to learn to live with this. And again, it might happen soon. It might not. Who knows? But in the end, actions will be the same. We have to start working on a replacement. Now these thoughts threw up a rather large set of questions for me. Why are we trying to build a replacement instead of repair the old civilization? Why separatism, not reform? Second, this is all way too overwhelming. Why not just create our own personal escape boat instead of working for the good of all? And third, this is all way too overwhelming. Numbing yourself doesn't seem like a bad choice. Why not just offer yourself to entertainment and apathy? Building a replacement for a global civilization is impossible. The benefactors of the current system will prevent that anyways. So let's not even try. There are so many fun things to distract yourself with. Let us start with the first one. Why are we not just trying to reform the current system? The market seems to be correcting itself. Companies are investing in sustainable alternatives. Governments have signed the Paris Climate Agreement. Civil society is funneling donations to good causes all over the planet. There are mechanisms put in place in order to reform our current political systems from the inside. The reason why this won't be enough is because of what Daniel Schmachtenberger, for example, calls generator functions, or what Charles Eisenstein has described as the story of separation, or what is often referred to as wetico. The idea forming the foundation of our current civilization is that humans are outside the community of life. We lord over nature. We only need our own innovation to survive. Without progress, we are not humans, and the only form of progress permitted is material growth. That material growth cannot continue forever is obvious. The resources on planet Earth are limited. That humans cannot live outside the rest of the community of life is also obvious. It might be theoretically possible to build robots to fulfill all the ecosystem functions necessary for human life, but when you look at the current state of the art in robotics, the superiority and efficiency the incredible design process of evolution has over anything humans have produced until now is staggering. While videos like those from Boston Robotics make for a fun watch, as soon as you take these metal-based machines into the world, they are still far, far, far from replacing the complex systems that have emerged on planet Earth to create ecosystems which are able to support human life. And I'm not betting on the Tesla bot on changing that anytime soon. We can't even build a proper trash collection robot for our oceans. No. As long as we don't understand ourselves as part of nature, fundamentally forced to live together with the rest of all life forms in interdependency, we will not be able to offer a meaningful existence to humans in the long term. But with this separation being the generator function, the basis, the foundation of our current civilization, abandoning it becomes an imperative. Now, at the same time, pure separatism is impossible. We will always inherit the physical structures, the created landscapes, the cultural practices, and ultimately, 
the interface with this civilization that needs to be maintained for onboarding new members into this different way of life, and therefore we'll never be able to build something completely anew. But we do need new foundations to stand on, even as we reuse and compost the materials of our ancestors. Second, why shouldn't we just create our own personal escape boat instead of taking on the huge task of building an ark for as many people as possible? Why not just buy a piece of land in the mountains, build a permaculture farm, and wait it all out? This is a very good question, because I personally believe it to be the right for each individual or group to decide to do so. Every individual or group has the right to just bugger off and live alone. We cannot dictate any human being what they have to do, since they would not do it with passion and in good faith otherwise. The ability to say no is necessary to create serious commitment behind a yes. And so I believe this option is open to everyone. Get away from it all. Wait it out. But to all those that feel called to build this lifeboat for humanity, the basic principle of making it as big as possible is fundamental. A pro-life attitude of compassion and love in relation with everything form the foundation of what this new civilization is supposed to become. We cannot save everyone, but the principle of trying is nonetheless foundational. Third, for an optimist, this all sounds pretty bleak. Why not just drift into apathy and numb yourself? I think every person trying to step up for a better world has reached that point before. We live in the brave new world. We are making weed legal and porn free, and now everybody is demotivated, as Eric Weinstein once so elegantly said. Pleasure is always just a few simple hand movements away, and every time you open one of these social slot machines, you are sitting on the other side of a team of the smartest people on this planet trying to come up with ways to get you sucked in more and more and more. Why not just enjoy it as long as it lasts? Again, I believe this to be the right of any individual to choose. The ability to choose is what creates meaningful commitment and passion. But we always have to realize that we therefore give authority over our own life away. We put our freedom into the hands of our pleasurers, and power corrupts. Maintaining this lifestyle for a long time without suddenly realizing that you have become dependent on a centralized entity which is manipulating you towards purposes you might not agree with is very unlikely. So I would like to extend a hand to anybody feeling apathetic about having an impact. We are one amongst so many people that our individual voice or actions won't make a difference. But we are one amongst so many people. Together, our voices and actions make all the difference. They have created everything that is human-made on this planet. While utopia is impossible, protopia, that things get relatively pretty darn amazing, is always an option. Let's make it happen together. So, anybody that is still here and wants to build a new way for humans to relate together, what do we do now? We said we need a new foundation. It is not enough to just maximize the power in the old system in our hands 
to reform. In his book, Ishmael, Daniel Quinn gives us the analogy of a prison society. Inside a prison, not everybody is equal. Some people have more resources and some people less. And those with the most resources still have access to pretty much all the comforts available outside. A lot of activism is focused around redistributing resources in a more just way inside our cultural civilizational prison. This seems good. It feels satisfying. It tells us, I am doing something to bring about justice in this world. Why should we abandon this work? Because it does not change the fact that we are still inside a prison. Inside a civilization which will not deliver us into freedom, but into collapse. Our efforts, therefore, must be bound towards breaking out of the prison. That is our civilization. That is the story of separation. But what does this actually mean? What does it mean to break out of this civilizational prison? Breaking out of the cultural value system of our current civilization means breaking away from those actions which are sanctioned and incentivized by the system currently handing out the rewards and punishments. Of course, the distinction isn't always clean, and some actions seen as commendable in the new culture we are trying to create will also be rewarded in the current value system, but by far not all of them. Our current civilization is focused on competition as the motor of innovation in order to satisfy our need for growth, which again goes back to our need for progress, which is needed as the proof that humans are different, separate from all other beings, the foundation of our civilization. Competition often results in a race to the bottom, in many aspects, but especially an ethical action. Within a short time, any system which abandons local, inescapable social sanctions, which any human coordination game trying to act at the global level ultimately has to do, will degrade into a competition requiring humans to manipulate those with the power to hand out rewards while putting down all their competitors. If we enter this game, it is impossible to develop a regenerative culture which can give humanity a long-term future. No, leaving the prison means trying to get out of this competitive game. Leaving the cultural scaffolding behind and tread a new path without any guides. We need to emancipate ourselves. Only if we emancipate ourselves from the current incentive structures will we be able to say no. Say no to the manipulation. Say no to cutthroat competition. The ability to say no once again is the basis of ethics because it gives us the possibility to have done otherwise. It is the basis of passionate commitment towards anything. And this is really difficult because it does take us outside of the reward system of the current incentive structures. We won't get social approval as much as before. And this is challenging. And another place where we need a why. So what is this new ethic? this new value system which can found a regenerative culture. Well, of course, I have to give the disclaimer that I don't know. <laughs> but I'm here to share my thoughts on the question why, so I would love to continue with this as well. Why do we do all this? 
We do all this in order to give humanity a long-term future with meaningful lives. This means we need global-level cooperation in order to work on the global-level challenges we have created. The imperative is the maximization of cooperation. At the same time, we have noticed that the web of human relations is simply too complex to impose cooperative behavior from the top down. Feedback loops created through social history are too unpredictable to just create 17 sustainable development goals and be done with it. Regenerative global action can only be powered by an emergent process resulting from every single relation a human has with themselves, their surroundings, and other humans. The best place to start, therefore, is by building an ethic guiding every human's relationships towards cooperation. Our current societal and economic model dictates that if humans act in their own self-interest in all their relationships, a hidden hand will coordinate the fulfillment of all desires. This is in some way true if all humans thought long-term, but a focus on self-interest incentivizes short-term thinking and therefore dooms this model. We instead need the reverse, a focus on the community around us. If we improve the capacity of our communities to generate resources for all in the future, the likelihood of us having a good future goes up as well. Combined with a meaningful way to sanction non-cooperators, improving their surroundings means improving our own quality of life long-term. This, at first, becomes our deontological imperative. Reintegrating into the community of life and improving its capacity to regenerate and therefore produce resources in the future. This will give us an ecology of practices, as John Verbeke calls it. A mutually supportive set of rituals, cultural norms, and practices, which support us in our founding of a new cultural paradigm of cooperation. Then, we enter the utilitarian phase. Utilitarianism can only focus on maximization, but does not intrinsically know what it is trying to maximize. Now it knows. Cooperation. Both intentions and actions are important. It does help to be an activist with good intentions, but if you're not doing something which helps us along the path, this will not be enough. If you have the intention of regeneration, plant lots of trees, and sell carbon credits on them to finance more projects. That is very nice. But if you forgot that we need ecosystems, not tree colonies, and all the trees are dead after a year, and the carbon is still emitted into the atmosphere, that is not necessarily helping. Finally, through living by this ecology of practices, trying to maximize cooperation, we reach the stage of character ethics. The kind of person you have become through this does not need rules anymore. Your basic characteristics urge you to act for cooperation and regeneration in every moment. The values that express this attitude in every relationship are love, or well-wishing, and service. Love and service, as any religion or culture has basically taught until now. We are here again. The Buddha once tried to illustrate the path to enlightenment with the crossing of a river. You start on one side, 
normal life. Then you find a boat, an ecology of practices and ethics, to cross the river. But once you have reached the other side, reached enlightenment, you don't keep carrying the boat around on your back. No, you leave it behind and entrust yourself to the person you have become. We start on one side of the river, our current civilization, our current value system, relating to all things based on self-interest. We find a boat, the deontological norms of cooperation and regeneration. We maximize these norms to cross the river as quickly as possible. But once we have reached the other side, we are free to let go. We entrust ourselves to the individuals, the groups, the relations we have become to create an emergent process in love and service. This will not necessarily deliver us what we want. When you entrust yourself to the process of emergence, to the process of evolution, something amazing will happen, but often not what we were looking for initially. This is where we can learn from Eastern philosophy and be like water. Adapt to the shape this process creates and fill it out. We do not let our identities get in the way, but support that which is trying to birth itself, whatever it is. Throughout this chain of thoughts, I have focused on humanity. Why? Is speciesism helpful in this? I don't know. Honestly, probably not. At the latest, when we enter the character ethics of love and service, we are ready to leave it completely behind and rejoin the community of life, entering into the story of interbeing with all other things in existence. This creates great challenges. Maintaining compassion with all humans can already be crushing, with human-caused wars and famines around the planet causing misery for those affected, but also misery for those perpetrating not falling back into the prison hierarchy, trying to make life just inside the prison walls, is challenging. At the same time, not falling into patronizing patterns, pitying those inside the prison walls, while looking from the outside, is also challenging. Pure love and service tries to help without feeling superior, without patronization, without pity. Feeling compassion and the following grief for all living and non-living entities, on the other hand, is simply overwhelming in the beginning, and can only be navigated through community. For that reason, I wish you all a community to embark this journey with. And if you do not have one where you live, you are very welcome to join Earth Regenerators online, and especially the learning journeys organized regularly which include community calls to process these issues together, step by step. Thank you for listening to this audio essay. I hope you could find some inspiration in it and maybe some comfort in knowing that somebody has stood in front of the same abysses as you. My ecology of practices in the last few years has been filled with lots of meditation and contemplation. Now, I do not feel the need to be an optimist anymore. I do not feel the need for life to go anywhere. I do not feel the need for everything to have a meaning. Everything just is. 
all the time, everywhere. And all that fills me with such joy and love in each moment that I want to serve that which is beautiful in this world. Letting go. Letting go has been my path. I had to unlearn the logic and reason which I have recounted to you just now. Unlearn all the questions contemplated in traditional philosophy. Why are we here? We just are. What should we do? Be. And follow what seems important to you in each moment. Why not kill yourself today? Because the reality of existence is so beautiful, it is enough to just witness it until the end of time. Why not just leave an apathy or escape into the mountains? Because love for everything makes me want to share my merits with everything around me. How to unify all these perspectives? I have no clue. I hope you can help me explore. So I would be curious to hear where you are on this path and what your ecology of practices looks like. If you want, tell us about it on the companion post on Earth Regenerators. One last thing I want to talk about before signing off is time. Are we really in a hurry? Are we under time pressure with all this? We are trying to enter an infinite game. A game of culture and relating which keeps on evolving, including more and more players. An infinite game never starts and never ends. It is already going on and will continue until nothing exists anymore. Humanity will not go extinct. The climate will change, a mass extinction will continue to take place. But all this will not be the end. By acting swiftly, we can cushion the fall. But acting too swift discards the safety rails which are necessary to create a truly regenerative foundation for this project of ours. Therefore, no hurry, no pause. We have all the time we need, but not more. Let's regenerate the Earth.